and that you are our firm foundation. In the name of your son, we pray these things to you. Amen. You guys crushed that last one. You crushed them all, but you really crushed that one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Well, 27 weeks. And you know, I think the drummer, Doug, has heard more of them than any of you. He's been here for all but like one or two of them. So, but this Surviving in Egypt series on the life of Joseph has been probably one of my favorites of all time in preaching. That's why it went so long, because it's about what I want. And um, for those of you who don't know, Egypt is a metaphor for the world. Surviving, how do we survive in a world that is designed to make survival difficult? Especially if you are trying to follow in the words and the steps of our Savior Jesus. And it's been an amazing 27-week journey. This is week 27, studying the life of Joseph, identifying with his ridiculously dysfunctional family and all their struggles. And the lessons learned in Egypt, they don't mean anything if life stops with Egypt. I mean, after all, no matter how hard we try and how hard we fight to survive in Egypt, in the end, physically speaking, Egypt always wins. As a matter of fact, it says this in the book of Genesis. Um, we're um, right here in Genesis 3:19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for, and for you are dust, and dust You shall return. It's a stark reality to the fact that even though we cling hard to this life in Egypt, this life on earth, we grab it, we cling hold to it, and we we don't want to let go in the end, we return to dust. And even if, church, we absolutely crush surviving in Egypt, the success is meaningless if there's nothing to hope for after Egypt. Without that hope, Survival in Egypt is nothing more than a tragic story of pushing off the inevitable end. Think about it. If Egypt is all there is, it boils down to decades of trying to smile more than you cry. That's it. There's got to be more. I mean, what is the point if your only hope while in Egypt is Egypt itself? Yet Egyptian hope is the single biggest distraction for us in our daily life. It has tentacles into every area of our existence. It has tentacles in our family. We have Egyptian hope for them. Finances, we certainly have Egyptian hope for our finances. Our friendships. It all screams for success defined by Egypt's terms. Yet in the end... Egypt wins with all of them. If surviving Egypt is your only hope, I like to say it's like licking chapped lips. There are going to be moments of temporary comfort and satisfaction that give way to the predictable end. How tragic is survival in Egypt if we just end up in the ground with nobody to love, nowhere to go, after Egypt is done with us? Thankfully for God's people, 
it doesn't end that way. We do have hope for a people and a place after Egypt. And I have the title here, Life After Egypt, but if I had a subtitle, I really went back and forth this week with the title, It Should Be a People and a Place. But I decided to go with Life After Egypt, but really, it's about a people and a place. So let's look at the passage today. Uh, It's in Genesis 50, the last chapter, and we'll go into a little bit of Exodus. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. Those are his grandchildren, by the way. And Joseph said to his brother, his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham. That was his great, great grandfather to Isaac, his grandfather, and to Jacob, his father. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And then there's Exodus, chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he says to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So what we do is each passage at Grace Life, we look at three applications. What about the history? What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Then we look at the, the spiritual, the theological side. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? And then we look at the personal. What about me? What about us? What are we supposed to do and how do we do it? Historically, I want to look at hope after death. And the first thing I want to recognize historically is that Joseph crushed it. I mean, he did. Once the betrayal from family was behind him, Joseph led by all Egyptian standards, pretty great life. He was rich. He was powerful. He was loved, respected. He had a big family and lived a really long time. His two sons become powerful tribes in the nation of Israel. He had many grandchildren, some of whom he adopted and made his own. He and his family produced generation after generation of incredible benefits for Egypt through their competence and their faith. He built deep roots in Egypt. But Egypt was never his full hope. Somehow, church, Joseph kept his hope, not in Egypt, that seemed like a really good deal for him, but he kept it in the promises of God. As a matter of fact, he says, God will surely visit you. See, God's plan was that Joseph would never actually leave the land of Egypt. God intended to use of Joseph there in, in mighty ways, and he did. He died in Egypt, never realizing the earthly benefits of the covenant with his great grandfather Abraham but Joseph knew that Egypt wasn't his hope it was his job like his father Jacob he knew God had promised him and his people something much bigger and Joseph commands when God was ready and showed he was ready to move the nation of Israel back to the promised land he wanted to make sure his mummy his coffin was to go with them. He says, God will surely visit you. You see, Joseph knew 
God would keep his promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to him. And what we find out later on, if we, if we were to go through a study and go through Exodus, don't worry. <laughs> we're going to stop with the Old Testament for a bit. But the story of God fulfilling Joseph's prophecy, God visiting Israel is recorded in the books of Exodus through Joshua. And it's just simply one amazing manifestation of God's grace after another. Plagues in Egypt, the story of the Passover, the Red Sea, manna from heaven in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments, hundreds of examples of God visiting his people just as Joseph said. And sure enough, about 400 years after Joseph was gone, the nation of Israel remembers Joseph's request. In Exodus, it says Moses, as his member after Moses struck the deal with Pharaoh, let us go, and they're leaving. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. 400 years later, people that never met Joseph fulfilled his request. It shows they never forgot the promise he wanted them to remember. So we see Joseph crushed it. God was going to visit them. But sadly, Egypt does forget. And while Moses remembered Joseph, Egypt forgets, most likely by Egypt's own design. Let me explain. The Hyksos line of pharaohs were the line of pharaohs that were there when Joseph was in Egypt. They are conquered by a new line of pharaohs, and that one's conquered by another line, and then another one after that. And everything in Egypt begins to change with each line of pharaohs that takes over. Unlike the Hyksos line that was somewhat Semitic in its background, in its genealogy, and its soft spot for the God of Jacob, the new line had no interest in God or the God of Jacob. And you know what? We know for sure, archaeologically, that pharaohs regularly redacted and removed monuments and references to Egyptian history, smoothed over carvings on walls so that people would not know what really happened in the past. Because they saw nostalgia for history, especially the history of Joseph and his God, would be quite an obstacle for them. They wanted to be the memory. What they were doing, this moment. They had no interest in preserving the story of what God had done through Joseph and his best friend Pharaoh. So Egypt forgot about Joseph, his God, and the hope Joseph brought that whole nation when times were dark during the famine. Of course, this would end up costing them dearly. They would soon lose the end of their culture. They would lose their dominant place in the world and pay the ultimate price of tragic descent of their society. In the end, get this, even Egypt couldn't survive Egypt. So that's history. Let's look at the spiritual. What about God? What does he do? I want to talk about being motivated by hope. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, written by the Apostle Paul, look what Paul says. He reminds his Jewish readers, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. See, Joseph understood that his greatest blessing was in Egypt. It was God's promises to him while he was in Egypt. 
all his success in Egypt, <clears throat> couldn't make Joseph forget that Egypt was nothing compared to what was to come for him. And throughout life in Egypt, all the ups, all the downs, all the betrayal, all the affirmation, all the good times, all the bad, what he did consistently was he lived within this hope, evidenced by his actions, his values, his choices. And it was God's word, his promise, same thing. His spirit as well that kept Joseph heavenly minded. As a matter of fact, Paul kind of explains this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It was miraculous that Joseph didn't lose sight of the promise. And the reason it was a miracle is because it was the work of the power of the Spirit of God within his life. He knew ultimately he would be with God and his people, a people and a place in the land God had promised. Knowing his real inheritance was heavenly and spiritual, get this, enabled Joseph to be 100% invested in serving his God with all his might in Egypt. See, this is what happens when God's people live in Egypt motivated by heaven. Did you hear what I said? We don't live in Egypt waiting for heaven. We live in Egypt motivated by heaven. There's a huge huge difference. Paul describes it beautifully in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. It was like his like, apostle in training at the time. It was like a pastor in training. It was like his son in the faith, he called him. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Isn't that a beautiful picture? At the time of my, and the time of my departure has come. Egypt is going to win in my body, is what he's saying. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Isn't that a beautiful way to put it? Do you see the difference between living in Egypt waiting for heaven and living in Egypt motivated by heaven? You see what Paul says here? He's not biding his time. He's not so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. He's not waiting for the rapture, which, by the way, not even sure that's biblical. Uh-oh, some people got mad. Don't get mad. <laughs> he's not, and as well, living in bitterness to the world until the end. Paul isn't some super spiritually heavenly minded zombie that ends up being no earthly or Egyptian good. God used the promise of a future to motivate Paul to leave it all on the field, just as it did Joseph. But that's not how many Christians think, unfortunately. We think heavenly minded means we don't care about Egypt. That's not what God intends for us. He intends for us to fight for survival here with everything we've got, motivated by hope in something greater. That greater hope motivates us to impact Egypt, not just bide our time protecting our families till Jesus comes. That's not what he's called us to do. Think about this. Who 
do you think, what group is behind 90% of the hospitals, orphanages, universities worldwide since the first century? God's people. Fact. God promises. And the gift of faith that he will keep his promises keeps us focused on kingdom work. It's a supernatural result of God calling first and then saving his people that we see our survival as part of God's promise. <clears throat> Therefore, we remain fully engaged in Egypt while living with anticipation of the kingdom God is using us to build here on earth. Okay, so now we have the personal. This part's a little bit longer, a little more intimate. I want to talk about a people and a place. So this was the uh, social media preview campaign we do each week. Hope for life after Egypt is far greater than any hope Egypt will ever offer you. See, there must be hope for something greater than Egypt. Otherwise, life is short, shallow, pointless, ending the same for everyone, no matter how rich you are. God's will for us sometimes, though, can seem contradictory, can't it? On the one hand, to live for hope, while on the other hand, struggling to just survive. In Exodus chapter 1, 8 through 9, it tells us Egypt will always break its promises because Egypt, Egypt's hope is not in the same as ours, which is in God and his word. Egypt wants us to forget the promises of God, distract us from God's hope, and replace it with its own Egyptian hope. And what specifically is that hope that makes the struggle to survive Egypt worth it? Wouldn't it be great if we could just define specifically what that hope is so that we know what it is, so that we can point to it when times get rough? What we learn from Joseph is that greater hope is that inward, sometimes subconscious longing to be a part of two things, a people and a place. So let me break it down for you. The first thing is I want you to see a hope for a people. See, ideally, we talked about this a few weeks ago when I had that sermon on diversity. Children of God should never just identify with a race, a nationality, a region, this world, or let's make it right back to the bottom. We should never identify with just immediate family. That's the biggest temptation. Here's what's sad. If that's what you identify with only, all those groups of people fade. They die. And often people forget we even existed. But we, as God's children, have an identity that supersedes the blessings of all of those different groups of people. Yes, even our family. It is being called God's chosen people. I love what Peter says in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our hope is not in being American. It's in being part of those who have received the promise of Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. God's promise to them of a great nation wasn't just Israel. God was talking about us, you and me. A hope for a people which becomes God's church. If Egypt teaches us anything, it's that we desperately, desperately need to cling to one another. And the good news is our connection because of Christ and the spirit and the truth lasts far beyond Egypt. Egypt can never destroy our identity and connection with God's people ever. God's people chosen by his sovereign grace will be together for all eternity as his chosen nation. That's the hope for a people. That's pretty good, right? But it doesn't stop there. There's also a hope for a place. See, we also live in hope of our return to the promised land, but it's not Canaan. It's heaven in the presence of God. Now I'm going to get pretty deep here and I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable in your hearts and minds. Here's what Jesus says in the book of John. I love talking about hope for a place. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. That's a place. And Jesus says, I'm fixing it up for you. I got Slater doing some remodeling. <laughs> you know, I got Derek doing some painting. I got some people working on electricity and plumbing. See, the land of Canaan in Jacob and Joseph's story is just a mere symbol for eternity with his God and his house. And Jacob and Joseph both understood that. That's why, church, listen carefully now, this is why we struggle inwardly, emotionally, frankly, most of the time unexplainably, in this guest house that I call Egypt. And it is this emotional tension between living and surviving in Egypt and this undefined, sometimes we can't even put our fingers on it, this longing for that house that Jesus is building for us right now. We feel it when we miss loved ones that are no longer with us. Trust me, I know that pain. We feel it when we feel like strangers in our own place. When we feel pain, when we feel rejected, when we feel lonely, when we feel guilty, we feel this, this emptiness, this void, this, this something missing inside. And those moments make us think, is this all there is? 
this inexplicable yearning for something that you struggle to define? Some of you this morning are feeling it right now. You ever wonder what it is? I know what it is. You don't even realize it. You're homesick. You don't even know it because you think this is your home. It's not. This is a guest house. You're homesick for a people and a place. And these moments of clarity, as painful as they are, and they are moments of clarity, far more clarifying than a smile. These moments of clarity, when we realize Egypt isn't our home, and we must press on, Stop feeling sorry. Stop being weighed down by what Egypt wants to weigh us down with. We realize I can no longer sulk. I can no longer groan. Because I know that the home that awaits us is far greater. Let me tell you something. Egypt's the one that needs to sulk. They don't have anything else. We have so much more than they do. So, as we finish up this series, I say to you, it's our turn. So today we struggle through Egypt together. Our hearts longing for our people and our place. It's our turn to leave a legacy, a story of survival motivated by hope and God's promises of a people and a place. It's time for us to become God's people serving relentlessly as we hope in God to fulfill his promise to what? Visit his people through the return of Jesus. That's going to be a cool visit. What an amazing day that we will. What an amazing day it will be when we are done with this crappy place called Egypt and its false hope and its pain and its disappointment. When we together all see our Jesus side by side, face to face, celebrating our survival story, our salvation promise, the fulfillment of his promises. We live in the hope of life after Egypt. Life with our God and his people in his house. Until then, until then, we must do what Jacob and Joseph did. We must serve relentlessly, motivated by the promise God gives us through Christ of a people and a place. Motivated beyond anything Egypt can motivate us with to write our part of the story of how God's future people can survive in this place that we call Egypt. Dad, we long for a people. We long for a place. And each Sunday morning when we come together, you give us just a little glimpse of what it's going to be like. Donuts are so good now, I can't imagine how good they're going to be in heaven. <laughs> Lord, we miss people. 
But Lord, we know that the place you're preparing for us is amazing and it includes them as well. Lord, help us to be motivated that the end is resolved so that we can fight and relentlessly serve knowing in the end we will win, we will live in hope, and we will experience all the blessings of a people and a place because we know there's life after Egypt. God, help us to recognize it's our turn to add to the legacy of surviving in Egypt.